I'm going to sneeze, I think. <clears throat> Maybe I'm not. That's the big cruel cosmic joke. I hate when you almost sneeze wait, and wait, then it j- goes wait, away. Just, just sit there and wait. It's coming. Uh-uh. It's coming. No, it went away. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Stupid universe. Hey guys, just when you thought your week couldn't get any better, we're going to hit you with a bonus episode of On Taking Pictures. Bonus episode? (laughs) I love bonus episodes. (laughs) This is episode 26 of On Taking Pictures, and we're here each and every week. Well, almost, except last week, because Bill was on assignment. Yes, we missed Uh, last week. But we're here twice this week, so that kind of makes up for it. It does indeed. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadeInBlur.com, and with me... Mr. Fancy Pants himself, Bill Wadman. How you doing, Jeffrey? I am doing great. I'm do- I won a bag today, so I'm very excited. Yeah, see, no one ever wins anything. You actually won it? I don't. I, I never win anything. I won a bag from Ona. Ona bags, which are these amazingly cool camera bags. They make messenger bags. I've wanted, uh, uh, I've wanted one of their bags for a while. Yeah, uh, I think we should talk to them. Uh, maybe maybe oh, Sponsor. That would be awesome, right? Oh, that would be awesome because maybe, maybe we can get product for payment. Right? They've got <laughs> amazingly cool bags. So uh, I, I uh, They're in Brooklyn into, here, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I logged into Facebook and had a little message saying I, I won uh, one of their Ona, um, uh, not the Brixton, the Bowery okay. uh, bag, which is, I think is going to be a fantastic street bag. So I can't wait to get it and we'll, you know, talk about it on the show, do a little, little review or something. Okay. Sounds like fun. Uh, so yeah, very cool. So you you want a bag, and I spent my morning at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Met. Yeah. Wait, before I say that, so I was supposed to meet uh, my friend Meredith and her friend Eli at the Met on the front steps at ten thirty this morning, <clears throat> which means I would have to leave my house around nine thirty. It's a ways. It's sort of the opposite side of the city from where I am, and uh, so I'm about to leave. I'm like rushing to leave here, and I'm like it's nine thirty. And I go to grab where my keys normally are on a hook by the front door. No keys on the hook. Now, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who ever loses his wallet or his keys. You know, every once in a while, they're in the pants from yesterday kind of thing. Sure. But, but you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty reliable about putting them on the hook, Yeah, right? I put them on the hook, right. So they're not on the hook. They're not in my pants from yesterday. They're not in the bathroom. They're not in whatever. And I'm like, I know I had them when I took the trash out yesterday. So I'm going kind of crazy, ripping the apartment apart. Of course, Heather, my partner, is on a train to work in the morning at that time, so I can't get a hold of her because she's underground. So finally she gets to work, and now I'm completely blown it because I can't leave at 9.30. It's now almost 10 o'clock. And Heather calls, and she's like, I have no, you know, I don't know where your things are because I sent her a text. I said, are you sure you didn't see them? Was your bag underneath the keys like this morning? You know, that kind of thing. Maybe it fell sure, in. sure. I don't have them. I don't have your keys, blah, blah, blah. I was like, could you please just check? And Just look in the bag. Right. Of course, the keys are in her bag. They're Apparently bag. attached to her keys, which <laughs> she needed to use to lock the front door. <laughs> so she held my keys in her hand this morning. Right. So anyway, I got there late. So what do you, you have to go to her office, which so is I had to go into town anyway. in relation. Um Hers is it Forty uh, Second Street and Sixth, so like uh, uh, Bryant Park, like right by the uh, fifth, right by Times Square. 
Sure. Um, so, so I, I went up to the Met and then after the Met, I went down and, and got my keys from Heather. Um, but the Met has a new exhibit called Faking It, which is about image manipulation prior to photographic image manipulation prior to Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Now, is this opening weekend? Uh, if it isn't, it's very close to, yeah, this is like okay. brand new, apparently October 11th. So it's a I, couple I want, I want to see it at the, at most, at the very least, I want the, uh, the book. I looked at the, at the Met site and I think I want to order the they book. They have it on Amazon too, for like 38 bucks. We'll put it on the show notes so we can, okay. uh, people want it. The, the show was really great. The book looked really good. The guy I was with bought the book. I usually buy it afterwards, uh, at, you know, at the, at Amazon or wherever to get a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's here till January 27th, so get here in the next few months and we can go see it. Absolutely. Um, so it was pretty cool because a lot of the stuff they did, early stuff was sort of, you know, colorizing images, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which is, eh, okay, sure, you know. Um, yeah, but then they, didn't they get into like the Henry Peach Robinson compositing and yeah. then that William Notman Some stuff? Some of the compositing and- is nuts. Like oh, and nuts! Like they're cutting cutting buildings apart and piecing yeah. them together by the negatives, and painting people out of negatives by using India ink, so that it just goes white in the final print because it's inverted. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It now was think think cool about stuff. that 19th century aesthetic of of you're seeing a photograph and and to that aesthetic, you see a photograph, it's real. There's right. nothing, there's nothing not real right. about that. Well, you know, we actually discussed that a little bit between the three of us. The fact that nowadays. Back then, there there was an assumption that images were real. Mm-hmm. Now there's assumption that images are photoshopped. Sure, you know. So even pictures I take that I show people, and they're like, "Oh, that's a nice picture." I was like, "Actually, it's six pictures composited." And they go, "Oh, well, that's much more impressive." Now. You know what I mean? Like, right, 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 right. Uh, it's uh, it's crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was fascinating. A lot Is of it stuff a pretty, there. Pretty good size show. Uh, five rooms. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it's big. It's probably 150, 160 pieces. It's a lot. Nice. Um, and some of them are really amazing, like really amazing. So, <coughs> excuse me. So we'll have to go there. And I'll, maybe we'll talk about it some more when we talk about the uh, – uh, re, or retouching in general. What was the thing on the list? Oh, the uh, the Natalie Portman. Yeah. Can you believe that? Uh, so the uh, idea no. – there was a, D- a Dior ad that – uh, Natalie Portman is in, and apparently it's so heavily airbrushed that it was banned in the UK. Yeah, so one person complained, and and Dior removed the ad. Yeah, well, you know, the argument is that if it's not accurately portraying what the product actually does for a makeup or something like that, and this is very heavily photoshopped, this image where like what I don't understand is that it's Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. She has yeah, gorgeous how, how skin. How much do you have to do? Right. She has gorgeous <laughs> yeah. skin, fantastic cheekbones. If anything, by doing this much retouching, you're detracting from the looks of this woman. Right. Honestly, like detracting from what was already there. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's interesting stuff. But, uh, but yeah, the show was great, and anybody in the New York area should go see it because uh, talk about a lot of stuff. There was actually a pretty cool, you know that um, famous Avedon, I think it's Hepburn or one of them, where she it's like multiple versions of her bigger and smaller and this like black yes. stuff. Yes. So they <clears throat> they had that and they actually had the original uh uh transparency mask that was painted on to oh, sort wow. of mask it together. Like cool stuff wow. like that. That's neat. Yeah. Well, um, isn't there another there's another show 
is it running simultaneously? That's it's sort of after digital now as well, like after Photoshop. Um, yeah, it's is funny. That- They're actually across the hall. There was a thing that was all about manipulation, and it had a few things in it that I found really interesting. For example, I mean, we talked about it earlier on in, in the show. The whole idea of somebody say downloading images off of Google Street View and mm-hmm. saying that they're art. Right, 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 right. Which is just kind of like uh, so. It, it, the guy I was with Eli said. I think he he was quoting Jasper Johns. He says, "Make uh, art is is when you take something and you do something to it, and then you do something else to it. That you, that it's like it, it takes two steps to make it your own. Right? Not just not just curating it and saying, yeah. hey, I I declare this art.' Exactly. Um, one of the things that was on there is there was a there was an image. I don't know who the photographer was. I didn't keep notes, but who uh, took pictures." Off of the internet of like uh, people with their legs spread with underwear on, you know, like kind of like kind of sexy pictures. Right. And like upskirt kind of things. Yeah. More like, you know, like quasi self-made softcore porn kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. And um, blew them up and saturated them more and like printed them out at four by five feet. And that is his or her art. Huh. And it's kind of like, well. Is that art or is that somebody's picture that you blew up? Like, is that, yeah, where's that line? You know, yeah, um, I don't, I, I don't, mm, that's, I think we could do a whole show on that. Yeah, no, and, and you know, it's funny because there's that uh, exhibit, the uh, Albert Watson show that you were telling me about yesterday. Yeah, did you make it? Did you go? I didn't go today, but I'm planning on going tomorrow with the Brits and Heather. And okay. well, here's one of the interesting things one of the pictures um, in, in the show today was one uh, by a woman named Wanda Wolves. W U L Z. Okay. It's called cat and I, and it's sort of a double exposure of her face with a cat face. Right. Okay. It's exactly the Albert Watson thing of Mick Jagger. Right. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. So one of the things that, you know, Albert Watson is known for as being like this famous shot of his. Right. Right. Is actually itself, uh, sort of stolen. That's kind of awesome. Well, yeah. So it's you get these weird, um, you get these weird situations where you remember that everything's fake. You know what I mean? Like everything's been done before. You know what sure. I mean? Well, have you seen the the, the uh, everything is a remix? Have you seen these these little videos? Uh, every, it's called everything is a remix. Everything it's called everything is a remix. Yeah, we um, you should watch them and then we can talk about it next time. Okay. Um, but they're 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 really cool um, videos that this guy puts together painstakingly puts together, uh, and and they they really just make the point that you know everything is in some way derivative or builds on or rips yep. apart everything else. Yeah. And they're they're just really fascinating. I, I saw this and I was like, oh man. Like, you know, and then the other interesting thing was in, in the room where, um, the, the, the post digital side, right. Right. There was, there was a, one of these guys who took like every Rubens painting or whatever it was and overlaid them and sort of mashed them all together. So it just became this smushed blur of like the average of all the paintings. Right. Where you do kind of a Photoshop averaging of everything. Yeah, sure. It it was very cool. It looked very cool. I, I, it was one of the things I liked in the room. But it was funny because in the other room, like the pre-Photoshop thing, there were all these things where they were merging people's faces and getting averages of a huge group of people by Hmm. doing it optically. Right. And it's just kind of like, look, even that has been done before, you know? Right. Um, One guy had a pretty cool – in the the post, the Photoshop-y kind of side of things, um, 
was an architectural photographer and he decided he was going to start uh, making his own buildings photographically. And so he uses Google SketchUp to like create a building shape and then he brings that into Photoshop and he finds parts of buildings that he can overlay onto the different sides of the buildings to create oh, wow. architecture. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, it was. That was pretty cool. But then there was another guy who took a picture from Street View from all 50 states and says that, look, this is me in all 50 states or some BS thing like that. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then it's like, no, that's not art. That's right. That's just I mean, it's art in the sense that everything's art, but it's not art in the sense of it's just bad. That's just stealing somebody's stuff and calling it your own. Curating is not art. Yeah. When did art, when was, when did art become self-referential? Right. I mean, you know, uh, Pollock and de Kooning and, and, and all these guys, they didn't, to my knowledge, didn't refer to themselves as, as themselves as artists. They referred to themselves as painters. True. Do you, do you refer to yourself as an artist or a painter? I am a a painter at best. I mean, you know, on a good day, maybe. Yeah, where, where art artist was an umbrella designation. That was how someone else referred to your work, or right. how how someone else referred to right. you. But it wasn't self referential. I would never it? say that I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Jeffrey's like, yeah, neither would I. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah, just dig a little deeper. Would you like a larger shovel, Mr. Wadman? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I you know, uh, that's, to me, that's, I mean, yeah, you want to go, oh, I, I'm an artist and I do this, but uh, I don't know. That, that implies uh, an aesthetic sensibility on someone else's aesthetic to my own work that I'm not comfortable with. Do you know okay. what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or at least it, it implies that there's some sort of importance to everything you do, which is, you know, which is my problem with the whole, um, the, the like labels, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it, we, getting back to the, a quick thing on that discussion, like the idea that like, if I have to write two paragraphs about why this is important, then it really probably isn't important if it can't say that on its own. Um, right. And, right. and so in the same way by giving that, 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 as far okay, I can't speak for all people who make art, but as a photographer and an artist, quote unquote, I guess the the stuff that I've done best was never. I never. I never did it in order to make amazing art. I was just trying to make something cool. Mm-hmm. And if if it ended up using all these, oh, it referenced this painting, and oh, you did, um, you know, the 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 uh, composition matches this sort of form, and oh, what does that say about postmodernism? And you know, right? Sure, yeah, you could look at some picture I've taken and sort of rip it apart and and get all art school uh, pretentious on it. <laughs> But yeah. I did not. Imp- I did not do that on purpose. You know, you no. might be able to pull that in after the fact, but I didn't do that. Like I wasn't thinking well, you, all those things, or at least I wasn't consciously thinking all of those sure. things. Sure, you and I have talked about that, where somebody has commented, people have commented on on particular pieces of your work, and then you look at it, and you go, "Oh yeah, I guess it does. I guess yeah. I guess you're right. I didn't see that when I was doing it. I just but thought okay. it looked cool. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like I was just trying to make something pretty. Sure. Um, anyway, so it's interesting. Great show at the Met. The book looks really cool. In fact, there's a there's an iPad app of the show. Oh, really? An app you can buy apparently. Um, 
I should go buy an iPad. What, what is, what is iPad. this thing called? What is the thing called? The show I just saw? Faking it. Faking it. Faking it iPad. Let's see if we see if it's got a thing. Faking it for iPad on the uh, iTunes App Store. Okay, it is free. Get out. Uh, and it has almost everything in it. Well, you know, I I might as well. I've got to spend you know five thousand dollars to buy an M nine for the the bag I just for the won. New bag so. you just got. <laughs> so and I might as well get a free app and then go buy an iPad. What's really kind of funny about it is if you go look at the faking it app in the App Store. Um, the picture that they use to show it off is that Wanda Woltz picture oh, yeah, of her and the cat. I'm looking at it right now. So that's kind of interesting. I still huh. think I just there's something about that that just drives me nuts. But it's something about the, the the fact that Watson kind of reimagined it, or what? Well, th- that that people give him such huge amounts of oh my god, look how creative he is, and it's like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. On. He stole it from this woman from 150 years ago, or whatever should, it was. Right? Can can you get it? Can you get this as a T-shirt and wear that to the Albert Watson show? Oh my God! If he well, <laughs> the opening was last night, right? That would have been awesome if I did it while he was there. Yeah. Oh hey, how you doing? Hey, c- could you sign this photograph that you made? Oh, you didn't make this one. <laughs> oh right. That's funny because it looks just like the one that you made. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah it's good stuff. I I, I hear Wanda's people want to sue you. Is that true? Yeah. Um, you, would you care to comment? Yeah, care to comment. Um, anyway, so d- good stuff. Go see it. And uh, yeah, let's move on to the other stuff. Uh, hey, let, let's talk about Rex's email for a second. Do you mind? Can we do that one? The process email? Kill or it. Do you let's to, do it. You want, okay. So uh, it, it, two episodes ago, in episode 24, we, we talked a lot about process. Actually, we talk a lot about process all the time. But, but specifically, it was a discussion about process. And we got an email uh, from uh, Rex Kersley. Uh, in episode 24, you talk about process and the premise that it is paramount. I would suggest that the end result is what counts. Who really cares if you created your own pigments or developers or whatever? Who cares whether you took 10 seconds or 10 years to produce whatever you produce? In the end, your audience does not know or care about any of this, only about the result. Um, I've got some thoughts on this, but I wanted to, to see what you think. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. The, 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 the one thing that I can say, I dis, I, I disagree with Rex on this one. Um, yeah, I do too. I, I do think too. that I think that um, the process has a lot to do with it because otherwise, yeah. it's just it's just this thing. Um, it, it, why do people like handmade furniture? Mm-hmm. You know. Because you know what? The machine's going to make furniture that's a lot more perfect than some guy doing it by hand. And yet right. people pay crazy amounts of money for handmade furniture. Right. Um, uh, I, I, I think that part – one of the purposes of art is to encapsulate the human experience. Mm-hmm. And the more human experience you put into that art, the more it, the more it becomes enriched. Does that make sense? Uh, couldn't have said it better. Completely agree. Yeah, I, I, I think I appreciate Rex you taking the time to write I, in. I understand his viewpoint. Like I, I understand I what he's do. saying. I, or at least I understand in the sense that it's like a political view that I disagree with. That I understand how somebody could think that. Sure. Um, I just disagree. You know. Well, let, let's take for as an example. Let's take um, Sally Mann. We've talked about her a couple times, and you she's and Sally Mann. You can't let me it go. and Sally Mann. I can't let it go. No, it, it, she's in this this mode of. 
she she became very famous for doing one set of photographs or one one series of photographs, and now she's she's moved into doing landscapes and uh, doing because uh, she's still uh, making enough money off of the old stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, a commentary. There's there's this this series that she's doing. But my point in all this is, if she goes out into the forest uh, in Virginia and and takes a, a sunrise shot. Uh, with a Nikon D800 or a 5D Mark III, it's a shot of a forest. It might be a nice shot. It might be in focus. It might not be. Um, but it, it really doesn't go beyond that. But because she's lugging an 8x10 camera up this trail or down this valley or whatever it is and allowing – hundred-year-old lenses to do what they do, allowing collodion, which may or may not be a, have, have been distributed evenly across the plate, do what it does. Uh, the process makes that image, I would argue, more interesting and, and more valuable as, as something because of the process that went into it as an object. So, so the picture I shot on, the, on your iPhone is not as good as the Steichen Pond Moonlight or whatever. Right, yeah. right. To me, again, this is very personal to me. And, and the idea of, you know, in, in Rex's email, who really cares whether you created your own pigments? I do. I care yeah. because I think it speaks a, to... As, as an appreciator or as a purchaser? I guess there's that, that's the other thing, right? I mean, what, under what, how are we judging it? You know, based upon how much the thing is worth it monetarily, the, mm-hmm. what, depending on how much. It's amazing how many of the things... Um, even today in the, 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 the show, I mean, okay, that picture of the girl's crotch, okay, didn't cost anything for him to make it. He saved the picture off of the web. He right. makes it, he, he blows it up in Photoshop, he adds some whatever, he blurs whatever, and then he prints it out on something and he, you know, costs him $100 to make it. That, and it's up at the Metropolitan Museum, you know. So yeah, I mean, and, and kudos to him. My work's not in the Met, right? Nor will it probably ever be in the Met. The question is, is is that change? Even if what you you and I are saying is true, is that changing? I don't know. I I think I think it's my. Or is it a pendulum? Well, I, I certainly think it's a pendulum. But I, my own personal view, it's my respect for craft. Okay, and I think that's what's what's been lost. In, in a great deal of contemporary photography. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, and intent. That's the other part of it. Intent. You know, I think I've talked about, I, I didn't really resonate with Pollock's work until I, I watched the movie and read uh, a biography about him to see what was in his head, to see what he was trying to do and what he went through to get there. See, I've done that with Warhol and I still don't like Warhol. Yeah, I'm not, I did too. And I'm not a big same, Basquiat. Same thing. Not, no, Basquiat, I don't get it all. Not I don't don't get it. Well, you know what? I, you and I are we're curmudgeons. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, I I guess I mean we don't have to go round and round on this, but I but I I do think that there, uh, my purpose on, uh, hmm. There's a long, there's a bigger show about how I decided to do this for a living. Sure. Um, that a couple of people have asked about, so maybe we'll talk about this some other time, but I will say that I used to do advertising stuff. I used to do a fair amount of, uh, coding and that kind of thing. Um, 
And then I, I switched gears and decided to do photography, say five years ago. And a big part of that was, be, was, was a question of meaning mm-hmm. in my life. And part of that meaning is, is the doing, is the experience of making the, the thing that I'm making. Sure. I mean, even if a lot of it is me sitting in front of a big giant monitor in Photoshop. It, yeah, but, you, but you're still 200 layers deep and 42 hours in for that yeah, one image. Right. So there, and I think that there's something in there. There's something that becomes imbued that, that, that the final product encapsulates the work that went into it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the work is sometimes manual and yeah, I could use a power sander, but if I'm sanding it by hand, that's that much more difficult. Now, I don't mean to say that you should make things difficult just to make them difficult. You know, I'm going to light this portrait with candles and have a 15 minute exposure because I can. Sure. It's a cool idea, actually. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you try to <laughs> marker. <laughs> yeah, you should do that. Uh, you get my point, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying make things hard just to make them hard. Although the whole limitations thing is a big part of of, of creativity. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's, it, it, there's, it, it, there's there's seeing seeing this show though. I mean, there was one thing by one guy where he took a, por- a pro- portrait of a profile of somebody, and he took one vertical strip of pixels out of it. Okay. And then stretched it horizontally for like 30 inches. So it was like 10 by 30 inches. It was like this long sort of panorama kind of thing. And it was huh. pretty much just these stripes across it. You know, when you... Yeah, yeah. And that was his finished work. Now, it's a little artsy and avant-garde and sort of pretentious. But it was also kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know? It was cool enough. It It was different enough to get him in the Met. Right. So does that... What does that say, right? I mean, is is do we all and and I don't want to go back to the whole, um, you know, everyone has to have their fifteen minutes for coming up with some silly idea like dogs jumping in a pool underwater, but maybe maybe there's something to trying much like okay, I don't like Warhol art. However, I understand the questions that Warhol raised, whether or not his art is his art when a factory makes it, whether or not things being mass produced means, you know, all of these like larger questions that, that sure. pop art brought up, I think are fascinating philosophical discussions when you're sitting around after dinner one night. Sure. But I don't, well, and, and you, you've still got artists like Damien Hirst making a career out of it right, and making right. a, a very lucrative career. Yes, out of it. A very lucrative career. But I, but I don't particularly like their art, but mm-hmm. I like the questions that underpin their art. And sure. maybe in some cases, this kind of stuff and the guy with the crotch downloaded off the thing or even the people from the Google Maps, are they making us discuss this stuff? Yeah. Okay. So maybe their art is worth something in the sense that it's bringing up conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a good question. And I'm sure, I mean, this, is, this whole discussion is very much what this show is about. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So thank you. For, for writing yes. in because it is, you know, and, and uh, again, for, for some people, if you're sitting on the end of, of an ad campaign, uh, yeah, the end product is what counts. Right. I don't care if it took you five hours or 50. Right. Although, you know, that, that campaign I did with my friend Craig where the money, where it's all wrapped up. Oh yeah. yeah um, yeah. I mean, 
Craig did the retouching on that and he took like an hour and a half, two hours per letter. And he did multiple versions of a lot of the letters. Mm. So he spent a hundred hours right. retouching piles of money, you know, to create an alphabet that they then, you know, used only some of the letters and, you know, it's right. Right. So, well, it was like that, that, uh, that, that razor thing too, that you did. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you people know? make, you know, there's no accounting for taste of your clients. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's next? Um, well, let's see. The, the, let's, what let's do you want to do? Let's do an easy one. Let's do uh, Edward Allen's email. Oh, the color. Okay. Yeah. Take that. Because that Go one is, is a little bit techie, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So Edward says, um, hi, Jeffrey and Bill. Uh, say you take a picture indoors at a concert or an office or whatever. You're not using a flash. You're shooting raw. You're not a white balance mode. Often the image has a cast dependent on the electrical uh, electric lighting in the space. Have you found a satisfactory way to recreate an overall natural light feel to the image in post? I've tried long and hard to recreate natural light feel. Uh, first tweaking the temp and the tint white balance sliders in Lightroom, then altering the saturation sliders to suit. Uh, never quite get rid of the image of its unnatural tone. How would a fancy New York photographer deal with this problem? <laughs> Uh, and don't, genius. don't don't say shoot near a window <laughs> or it's yeah yeah use the sun um, okay moving on <laughs> yeah next yeah stop using yeah. um okay so yeah this happens all the time right um and it, it becomes a bigger problem when there's multiple light sources that are all different color temperatures right uh, there's there's two problems going on here one is a color temperature issue right so just changing the white balance, that kind of thing. Um, and if you are actually in a room where somebody's lit by a light bulb, it doesn't look the same as if they were lit by a flash or they were lit by the sun coming in the window, right? Mm -hmm. There's a warmth to that, their skin tones and it's much more red. Um, yeah, you can get rid of the red and get it to something that is supposed to be quote unquote neutral, but usually it doesn't look very good. Uh, oftentimes you almost have to just sort of go with the redness a little bit and it is a case by case basis. Um, there are tricks you could use the, you know, in, in the, uh, eyedropper tool in, in Lightroom, or I'm sure there's a similar thing in aperture, um, where you can click something neutral and it'll say, Oh, that's supposed to be white. Well, I'll shift everything to match. Um, one of the things that I do a lot is, uh, I'll open it up in Photoshop, add a curves adjustment layer use the uh the middle gray eyedropper in the curves uh controls and then choose something neutral and it basically does the same shift that it would do in white balance except it does it in photoshop right, right. um but the nice thing about that is that then you can then change the opacity of that adjustment layer so mm -hmm. you could say oh that made it a little too neutral a little too boring back it off well, to or you, 70 you can mask it as well can't or, you yeah or you can mask it which i was going to get to in a second yeah um so you can kind of back it off and kind of uh, tease it that way. The other thing is that if you have multiple different um, light sources, you know, there's there's uh, you're using a flash, but there's fluorescence in the room, or you know, the fluorescence and incandescent, um, and not all fluorescents are the same. Not all incandescents are the same. If you set your camera to, you know, the tungsten setting, that doesn't mean that it's going to look good with every light bulb. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with fluorescent, same thing with, with shadows too, you know, and then there's maybe lights bouncing off of something green. And so there's an extra green cast or whatever. So sometimes you have to go in and do that for multiple parts of the image and mask them in. Um, you could use a little white or black card and take a picture in the space, uh, before you start so that you have something that you could get. Oh, this is as neutral as it can get because here's a white piece of paper in there or something. Uh, they make these little cards that are, you know, white, black, and gray, like little thing that could almost fit in your wallet that you could pull out, take a quick picture of in the, in the light source. So then you have, you have a reference. Um, the thing is, is that correct. It being correct doesn't always look good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with artistic thing. A lot of it has to do with the fact that your mind, even though your mind does this sort of white balance stuff, um, you know, incandescent lights are warm and, and, and fluorescents are a little green and, and, and you might want to go with that a little bit. But the other problem is that the sun has a very broad spectrum, right? So it is a certain color temperature, but it also is raining rays at like all the different frequencies. Okay. Where a lot of fluorescent lights and, uh, and tungsten lights are very peaky, right? So, that there are, it's sort of like, you know, when you, in, when you're in school and you could see like the full spectrum and there are the little like peaks at different, um, uh, for different, um, uh, elements, you know, when you sure. like burned copper and it comes right. up green. Right, right, right. So there, there are similar, uh, actually they're almost identical, uh, charts for a lot of different light sources. And they'll show you that there's like holes in a lot of light sources spectrums. So when the light bounces off of somebody or something and into your camera, the, 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 it may be that certain colors are brighter or less than they normally would be. And so even if you shift the whole thing so that white is white in the middle, other colors still look terrible because they, the spectrum didn't land on them. Right. Does that, mm-hmm. does it mm-hmm. make sense? Sure. I'm trying to explain it. Um, so especially with, uh, uh, fluorescence and tungsten, it may be that even when you correct, it still doesn't look correct because there is no correct, right? Because the light, it really, really bad with like street lights, like the sodium uh, yeah, halogen uh, lights. So, yeah, and the mercury vapor. And yeah, that, that kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so much so that like when they make movies and TV shows, they usually take all those out and recreate them in post and that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, the opening scene of, um, what's the Facebook movie? Social Network. In the opening scene of The Social Network, they show Zuckerberg walking around. Well, they show Jesse Eisenberg walking around parts of Harvard Square in Boston uh, at night and their street lamps and whatever. Apparently, they went in and replaced all of the lamps in the street lamps with, you know, lights that they knew the color temperature of. Right. So that they could control that problem. Um and this is the kind of stuff that people do. And it's it's so much so that the spikiness can't be fixed with filters or with white balance. It's just it's just you need to use better light, you know. Um, so I guess the answer is there's no easy way to do it, and it sucks for everybody. Although I was walking into Adidas yesterday, the Adidas store, looking for shoes. Uh, can't find shoes, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and there was a picture of some woman um, – and some guy, you know, some posters kind of things in the front and one of them of this woman. And it was really cool, like color cast, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of bluish and it wasn't just the printing. It was like done that way on purpose. And I was like, you know what? A lot of times we try so hard to make these things neutral when in reality, the cast gives character. Sure. And, and in some ways you should maybe go with the cast as opposed to trying to fight the cast. 
I don't know. I think his answer, his his answer of, of messing around with uh, white balance and tint and 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 saturation, it's it's the way to do. It. I mean, there are ways to sort of batch do them, which is what I was talking about, like getting a reference or whatever. But right. I, but you're not going to, especially if you're at a party where things are shifting and changing and whatever. You know, you know what the trick is? Go black and white. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, and then you know, even once you once you get the the environment balance the way you want it then you've got to deal with color cast on a variety of different skin types yes totally yeah which uh, that's yeah. got to be case by case and, and and certain people have really weird skin color um yeah heather my partner she has like this it's it's like there's extra magenta in her skin hmm. so there are ways to deal with color correct skin color based on numbers based on cmyk numbers do you ever do this mm-hmm no, I, I do um, adjustment layers and do it all by hand. Okay, like visually. Mm-hmm. Okay, sometimes like when I'm working visually, let's say you're taking – and it's different for different ethnicities or something. But let's say it's like some white girl like Heather, right? Um, that if you if you put an uh, eyedropper down averaging say like 14 – wow, this is getting really techy all of a sudden. Sorry. <laughs> averaging like 15 or 30 pixels or whatever. So it's just getting an average of say her forehead or her cheek, right? Right, right, right. right. And then you can, you can go look at that in like the little inspector panel. You can do a, change the drop down so it's showing it to you in CMYK. Okay? Hmm. Okay. Okay. If you um, look at the cyan and the magenta and the yellow, if you get the magenta and the yellow to be about the same and the cyan to be like one quarter to one half of what the uh, the magenta and the yellow are, you get a very averaged white people skin color. Hmm. And you can then a lot of times go from there. Now, the way you can manipulate that is that if you if you're looking at those numbers and there's too much magenta, okay, you you have an RGB curves thing. You can bring the middle of the greens up a little bit, and that sort of is the opposite of magenta and like brings the magenta down. So you can control like that way. And what happens is um, a lot of times doing it by the numbers, you can get it into the ballpark and go, okay, that's closer to how it's supposed to look. Sure. Now kind of tweak because sometimes you, it's like you get lost. It's, you have no reference, and it's very difficult to you. You keep staring at it, and you're working at it, and you walk away, and you come back, and you go, "Oh, that's terrible. That's all green." Right. It just well, I mean, there's a calibration issue there. There's you know a lot of things, but it's a brain calibration issue. Yeah, but then it it again, it's there are so many variables for uh, doing this kind of thing with skin um, that. Yeah. It may look great on your perfectly calibrated 30-inch NEC screen, but you send it to me, and I go, oh, my screen's not calibrated that way, so it looks completely wonky to me. True. Right. You yeah. Know? No, and then, yeah, and then a lot of times, you know, you can't print stuff as good as your screen. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. And then, you know, like, uh, oh, well, uh, uh, um, Asian skin has less yellow in it, and, and there's actually recipes online if you do some Googling. We'll have to do some Googling. Uh, there, there are actually sort of recipes online of like, oh, you're talking about a, a black skin, try this. Asian skin, try this. You're trying to well, Indian uh, there's skin. There's a Pantone project now. Yeah, have you where seen they're this? Actually, yeah. Well, they're trying to grab all the different colors. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, it's it's an interesting way to sort of um, take the uh, make it more objective and less subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'll make a note for skin color. We'll see if we can find a link. Uh, but that that's an interesting way to do it, uh, although it's not great. Yes, Barry Lyndon. Did you <laughs> like that movie? 
Uh, I, I liked it for its technical achievement. I, I thought the movie was just okay, but the fact that, that you know, it was shot on these 0. 0.75. I think it was you know, 0. 0.85, but yes, your point yeah. is taken. I mean, that's amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Super short depth of field. Yeah. You think you're short depth of field. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. This is a good question. Edward Allen. Good question. Yeah, so Edward, hope that, oh, hope that helped. Yeah, I hope, that, I hope my long-winded 17-minute <laughs> answer really helps. you I hope out. you can now spend two hours 40 per image. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I am – see, there are people who are event guys or whatever it is, and they've got to do this for 600 images. I'm not that guy. In that case, yeah, you got to do something in Lightroom or get it close and, and whatever. Yeah. Um. No, you're you're more the the Vincent Versace, very technical. I'm polishing one image until it gleans, or at least I try to. <laughs> um, even if it's you know something that doesn't glean. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, the you want to talk about the print the framing thing? The fr- oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that was another another uh, listener email. So that yeah, that's cool. Okay, um, actually, it was a ahead. listener voicemail. But that's right, a voicemail. So go ahead uh, with that. So uh, um, we had somebody call in, and I'll, I'll play it. Hey, guys. This is Lon from Lancaster, PA. Uh, question for you guys. I know you're into making prints and uh, doing stuff on your own. I'm interested in, in uh, the next level, the next fanciness step in that process, and that's mounting, framing, uh, stuff like that. So if you have any tips on either doing it yourself or – or outsourcing that, or, or what you do with your prints uh, after you print them, I'd love to hear it. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Bye. So the question was what we do with our prints after we're printing is essentially what the question is. Um, framing, mounting. How do, you, how do you mount? Let's go. Let's put this one towards you. Um, I, I have, a, a few different frames. I don't do like archival framing because I, I switch it up kind okay. of, I print a lot and then I put things up for, you know, a few months and I take them down and swap oh, them out, interesting. put things up. Um, so You're I, like a I don't museum have museum yourself. I am. I, my, I curate my own living room. Um, so I don't, I don't do a whole lot. I, I tried to do some mounting on, um, panels uh, but it just, mm. did you ever mount on a, one of the things that the show today was, uh, some stuff printed and mounted on like sheet metal, like on uh, a 16th inch or eighth inch, like a steel plate. Yes. Uh, I had a few, I did a series of paintings called casualties of war and I did black and white versions of them in Photoshop and had them printed on sheets of aluminum. And they looked actually really cool. How much does that cost? Uh, I don't, it wasn't that much. It was, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks. So where do you get, do you, did they get the stuff? Yes. I, I sent them the images, uh, just the full res images. Okay. And then they print them on, uh, these sheets of aluminum and they have a little mounting block on the back that's, that's pre-drilled with, uh, the little mounting holes. So it comes ready to hang. Okay. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to find a way, because theoretically all you really need is the sheet metal, and then you could do like a dry mounting with spray or whatever, you know? There, yeah, there's a trick to it. Um, there are a couple different companies. If you're printing 
yourself, if you're printing at, at home, um, you need to uh, prepare the, the sheet, whether okay. it's copper or, or sheet metal or, By or scraping aluminum. scraping it up to give it something to bite onto? No. There's, there, are, there are different products that you can use. Um, one is called uh, Ink Aid. Okay. And it comes in clear or white finishes and okay. you brush on a couple coats of this stuff it's an inkjet receptor because if you if you stick a sheet of of uh aluminum untreated aluminum or it, it it's prints as it would on plexiglass the the ink just beads on the surface okay okay so what the uh, uh, ink aid makes makes their inkjet receptor um golden makes oh, another oh, so one so you had it printed straight onto the plate I had it printed, but if you're doing it yourself, you have to go through, you have to jump through a few more hoops. But you could, um, I mean, I'm, I guess my question is, couldn't you print on paper and mount onto metal? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, that is even more difficult? Uh, no, that, that you could just do, I guess, with maybe, you know, either a, a hot mounting solution or if you wanted to DIY it, you could use 3M77 and, and Yeah, I guess the trick that. is just getting those sheet metals, not charging a fortune. Okay. Um, so, so have you, the frames that you have, where'd you get those? Have you just collected them over the years? Yeah. 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 Framing is a, is a tricky thing. If you go and get your stuff framed, it's a friend of mine bought a couple prints of mine from Drabbles years ago, my friend Katie. And, um, she wanted to get them framed for work. And even though I, I mean, I charged her for them and I gave her a deal cause she's my friend, but they still cost more to frame than they cost for, for, that I charged her for the prints. Yeah. Framing's expensive. Well, well done framing is, is crazy expensive. Yeah. And the people who do it really well, I, I, I'm sure it's worth as much as they're asking. It's just a lot of money if you're just somebody who wants to put stuff in frames. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York City and that kind of place, there are places you can go buy, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the big frame uh, company, the Nielsen Bainbridge? Okay. Uh, they, they make, uh, they make framing, uh, frames like, you know, that are already cut metal, you know, metal, uh, outside frames and that kind of stuff. And they're great and they're, they're perfect, but they're kind of hard to find. I think you could probably find them on Amazon and things, but a lot of times you get stuff that's weird sizes. For example, um, Heather buys, uh, she has a friend named Jamie McKelvey, who is a, apparently a big comic book artist. He Mm -hmm. did, he did the new reboot of X-Men. Okay. Okay. So he's like this big guy. Yeah. Um, That's big time, right? So every once in a while he sells prints and Heather always buys them and they're fairly inexpensive, but he sells like 50 things at like 50 pounds or whatever. He's a British guy. Um, and we get them, but they're like a four or a three, like whatever, some British, you know, the weird British sizes that are actually much more logical than our sizes, but they they don't sell frames that that size here. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a way to frame these things for a while because she had them in tubes. And I was like, you know, let's, we gotta, we gotta do something with these because they're just sitting here in tubes. That's silly. Um, and I, I found a, I went to the place that I used for my Drabbles opening where I bought frames with no glass because my, my pictures, I had them mounted on a gator board. Okay, sure. And then just put them in these frames without glass because it was, they were so dark that I didn't want to get all the reflections. And uh, they did such a great job and a great price that I went there and, and got these things done. This place called Frame Destination in, I think they're in Dallas. And the guy, Mark, who owns the place, who runs the place, uh, 
a really nice guy. I've gone back and forth with him a couple times on Twitter and stuff. And so when we got this question last week, I was like, oh, we should figure out some way to get them a, a, a way to get some decent frame. So I talked to Mark and he's like, oh yeah, I'll give you guys a coupon. So if you go to framedestination.com and you can custom make any frame, any size you want uh, based upon different Nielsen, Bainbridge uh, and their own, you know, less expensive uh, brand stuff. You can basically custom build a frame of whatever size you want with whatever mat you want and the whole nine. Wow. Um, and uh, we'll give you, they're going to give you 10% off if you use the coupon code. Wait for it. Fancy. <laughs> so course. type in the code fancy and, uh, and you will get 10% off at framedestination.com. And, and this isn't like a real uh, sponsor for us, but we just wanted to do something for you guys. Uh, for those of you looking to frame stuff and you know, yeah, it's a pain when you get the stuff from them. It's a pain in that, you know, when you take the, uh, the, uh, the plexiglass or the glass usually comes with like the coating on it, you know, and you kind of like pull off the stuff and then it's static electricity city and it sucks up all this dust. So it's a little bit more of a process because you have to do it yourself and sort of control that kind of stuff. Um, get so you get yourself some like artist tape, some like mounting tape, which is non-acidic and and and, and doesn't use nasty glues, and you, know, you can glue the thing in behind the mat and put the boards in, and I mean you can do it. It's not this is not impossible, right? Um, and you could do the framing yourself, and you'll get this you know almost the quality of a fancy person framing it, but for a lot cheaper price. Um, so framedestination.com coupon I'm, fancy i'm looking at it right now they got a ton of stuff they have they have they have a great they have they're uh, everything i've gotten from them has been really really good and yeah. i've had the the big frame the 30 by 48 inch frame that's on my wall behind me uh was from there and, hmm. and it just looks great so anyway need frames go to frame destination they'll hook you up fancy. is that that framed nagel print that you've got behind you <sighs> nagel <laughs> was this a joke isn't that a joke that i'm not aware of no, you know, like the like the Duran Duran Rio album cover. Oh, I see. Gotcha. <laughs> From the ding 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 Stop, man! It's going to cost us money. Knock it off. Dang. Um. So anyway, that's that. Uh, what else is on the thing? Uh. Man, we got lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Where are we at time wise? We good? What are we at? We're at a little under an hour, so we can go a little bit longer. Oh, uh, well, we did. We talked about Hey Mosaic. Uh, last show, which is the iPhone bookmaking thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but you have, you've made books of your work through Adorama and they've turned out really well. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So <laughs> this was before they changed chefs. It's funny. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah. I used to have a friend who worked there. Um, and so I used to get maybe a little bit more special treatment. Um, but so Adorama books, what they do is they actually print C prints. So they're actual, you know, chemical prints and on this really thin paper that they then sort of bond back to back and make these books out of using this, I don't know, proprietary, uh, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Binding system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that the correct word? But so it's the, like really nice, like Fuji photo paper, right? Yeah, I think they switched to Kodak, but yeah, that's that's essentially it, right? That it's okay. that okay. it's actual photo prints that they turn into a book, and they look great. 
um, for, you know, there, it's not paper. It's sort of like a, a book full of prints. Does that make some mm-hmm. more sense? Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and they're, they're sort of a satin coating. They're kind of glossy, right? Um, the nice How thing about it. How do they not it, stick together? Uh, I don't know, but they don't. And the nice thing about it is that they, uh, the, 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 the books can open all the way open on their binding. So you can have a landscape going across two pages and yeah, there's a break. There's a break in the middle just because it's been folded, but it's right. not an ugly break in the middle. Right. 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 Unless you have somebody's face right across it, then whatever. Um, but you, you can do these sort of double spread kind of things, uh, in the books and you could lay out the cover and the back and stuff. So if you go, you can go buy my books of motion and drabbles. You can, um, if you go to wadmaneditions.com, you can get links over to the books and you can actually just look at them and flip through them. Sort of, they have this sort of flash, interface to look at look at your final work and it's one of the things you can do when you go look at them is flip through the whole book um so i, I laid out a couple of books with them and they they've come out great and i've used them as portfolios and whatever um the thing about it they're not crazy cheap so like for example i think my motion book i think i charge like 125 dollars for it i think it costs 97 dollars to make right wow. so i'm not even making a lot of money on it right um it's 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 because they're sort of they're, each one is handmade and it's made of real print so it's it's a very different thing than getting say a CMYK book done right um they're they're real books well uh, look even even something like blurb you know th- they're not cheap no by any means no. if you want you know a hard cover or even the the soft cover but the hard cover with a jacket or or a nice linen binding you know it they're not inexpensive. No, and I, you know, my 365 portraits book was done on Blurb, and you can mm-hmm. still get it on Blurb. And yeah, there's another example. Like, the, but see that book. There's also the other problem with the the binding system on Adorama. You have a very limited amount of pages. You can do 25 pages. You can do 50 pages. You could do 100 pages. Like, you have to do exactly their number because of their mm-hmm. binding system is sort of multiples. Right. Um. So when I did 365 portraits, well, first of all, Adorama wasn't an, an option, but I couldn't do it there because that book is 250 pages. You know, I mean, some of them are doubled up because they're portrait, you know, thing, but a lot of it's just taking up a lot of space. It's got to have 365 pictures in it. Um, and I text them before and after. And those, in some ways, those are, they're fine because they're available. Um, they're CMYK books and they're you know, regular paper. And they, it, the books came out nice. I sold a few hundred of them and, and signed a bunch of them. And, and I actually did an order initially for a couple hundred, uh, which was kind of crazy getting these cases of my books at my house for me to oh, like, yeah. number and sign and ship out. Um, but, but yeah, Blurb does a good job too. It's just that they're not really photographic prints the way Adorama is. They're just sure. more, they're, sure. they're CMYK. They're pretty good CMYK, but they're not amazing, you know? If mm-hmm. you held it up next to some print you made on your Epson printer, you'd be like, oh, that doesn't look very good. Right. But if you just got the book and were flipping through it, you're not thinking how bad it looks, you know? I don't know. Interesting. Um, yeah. So but do, do, have you ever used anything other than these? No. You ever use the Apple ones, the i the iPhoto ones? Uh, I, I have used the Apple one. Um, it was very early on, though. Okay. And they their paper stock wasn't that great. Okay. You know, like it was, it was okay. Um, it, it was amazing that you could get a book in, you know, a week or whatever it was. Right. Um, 
But I, I'm I'm more excited about this Hey Mosaic thing and and doing it right from my iPhone because I use my iPhone all the time. Right, right, right. So I'm really excited to see kind of how that turns out and if if the quality is a good thing. You know, twenty bucks for twenty pictures, hardcover book, slipcover. You know that that seems pretty good, right? Yeah, no, it is. It does sound pretty good. I wonder if it actually is. I don't know. I don't know. You should get one. I guess is is. There are times. See, here's the problem. <laughs> when you when they show iPhone pictures from the book, uh, like uh, on the web and whatever it is, and they show the gallery on an iPhone, or they show your iPhoto library. You know, when they like show a right, sample right. one, it's always like beautiful pictures taken by some professional of like a family or you know whatever the thing is. Right. I wonder. It's not me walk, walking through Rancho Cucamonga. Exactly, and and a lot. Look, a lot of the pictures taken by these phones look really good now. But I wonder if they quite hold up to printing. Not that there's not enough pixels, but just that they're going to feel sort of like they're 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 sort of meant to be looked at on the phone. You know. Well, I mean, look, the books are seven by seven inches. These, yeah, they're we're little. talking about these hay mosaics. Then again, and so is the Saul Lighter book. So it looks like there's a two inch or even more generous than that, maybe bezel around each of the images. So there's a so five not, or six inch image there. Right, right. Which, you know, an eight megapixel file, five meg, you know, five inch image, it's probably going to look pretty good. Right. Yeah, true. I don't know. It's interesting. What I'm going to try it, man. And I'm going to carry it around in my own a bag. <laughs> yeah, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should talk about uh, that lesser photographer email, but I think we could do a whole show on that. What do you think? Yeah, we, we could totally do a whole show on that. So Glenn, um, uh, Glenn Stark, thanks for writing in, but let's, let's do a whole show on, on sources of inspiration because I think that would be good. Yeah. Um, somebody asked that we talk about uh, golden ratios. Yes. Uh, or the golden ratio, as it were. The golden ratio. Do you do you think about when you're? Do you think about composition from a structural point of view like that? Like, do you? I try to. Yeah, I have, I, I have to think consciously? about it. Yes, I I I have to think about it consciously. Whereas, like Nikki shoots very intuitively, but I I well, look she's, at it. You know, more talented than you are. <laughs> you're not going to get any argument from me. Um, and better looking. Wow. Keep going. Um, and nicer to me. <laughs> and yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I, I think about composition a lot more consciously um, to the point where sometimes I even have grid lines up uh, when I'm shooting. Okay. So in um, Lightroom, oh, you have grid lines up when shooting. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, I, I've tried that and it feels weird. Um, mm-hmm. it, on your phone or on your big camera too, if you had, if you had, um, well, mostly on my, just on my phone, not on, not okay. on. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm not shooting people like you are. I'm shooting like street stuff and buildings and, and, you know, right, right, right. I, I had them on my phone for a while. Um, it's funny if, if I feel like a certain crop that I'm trying to do on my camera or in Photoshop or in Lightroom or whatever it is, isn't quite feeling right. There are times when I'll kind of like pull it in just a little more so it like meets up with, you know, some of the third lines or the mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the ratio lines on there. The problem is that it's not that perfect, right? This is not an exact science. Sure. So, yeah, I could pull it in so that the guy's eye or the bridge of his nose is right across the crosshairs of one of the corners of one of the things. 
But is that what we're talking about? Or is it, is it more of like a general thing where we just don't like things centered, for example, you know, the whole, uh, zero point perspective kind of stuff. Right. Um, there are so many examples of things that are not based on golden ratio that to base stuff on golden ratio feels, you know, on purpose, um, all the time feels wrong to me, you know? Okay. Um, although I, I mean, I don't line things up perfectly. I just, I use it as a loose guide because I, I like things off center. Right. Well, the, the funny thing is though, that I think if you go look at our work, or a lot of photographers work, a lot of times you'll see it in there, even if they weren't doing it on purpose. You know? mm-hmm. I tend to center people a lot more than you technically should, quote unquote. Right. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Although then you look at it's, this is sort of like one of those reverse. It's the whole thing about the labels again, you know, like, Oh yeah, I could go back and look at, Oh, look at that successful picture. Well, it's successful because it's using golden ratio or whatever. Right. Well, it's, is that really it? Or is it just that, you know, okay, after the fact, sure, that girl is exactly where it should be, but I didn't do that on purpose or at least not consciously. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's one of those things, uh, sort of the uh, rules, you need to know the rules so you can break the rules kind of thing. Is it a handy? Well, look, you, yeah, is it, I mean. Is it, is it a handy guide to know that if you, you know, play things on thirds or, you know, and whatever the ratio exactly is. 1.6 to one or whatever, um, that, that, that things look better that way. Sure. Yeah. That's good to know if you're a beginner and you don't know why things don't look cool. You could start playing around with that and get your feet wet. But I think that there's also, uh, a place where you goes too far. Sure. And, and all of these things should be taken as I, I believe should be taken as guides, you know, shooting yep. for a histogram, using long lenses when shooting portraits, yep. shooting golden r- ratio. All of these things are they're 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 guidelines. They're not hard and fast and they shouldn't be treated as hard and fast. No, absolutely not. Um, it, it's funny that you said the histogram thing. You're talking about like shooting to the right and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, what's kind of funny about that is that I've had a weird thing happen lately. Um, or, or not lately as, as I've gotten more and more advanced, quote unquote, um, the, the, so the idea is for those who don't know, um, that, that digital cameras are, are, are recording more gradations in an image at brighter sections of the image, just the way things work out with the math, right? Because, um, uh, digital images, uh, uh, light is logarithmic the way we see it, but digital images are linear. So like the shadows have less levels in them than the bright spots do in your image. Right. Um, so the idea is that you should record, you should take your picture so that the brightest thing is just under a hundred percent bright at two fifty five on all the channels. Right. So that even if later you want to darken it, you can darken it, but you'll still get the advantages of having done it really bright. You know, see what I'm trying right, to say? Right, right, right. Does that make sense? Because, okay. Yeah, because once you go to 255, it's gone. You could blow it out, right? Or if you go yeah. below zero, it's black. But the idea is that, like, if you record more to the right, you will have more to work with after the fact. Right. Um, first of all... In, in theory. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I don't find that there are many scenes that have that little latitude that you have that much room to push things in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Number one. Um, number two, I found that recording, if, if you're in a situation where the light isn't crazy bright on somebody's skin tones, 
even if you're not blowing out any of the channels, that's the other thing. You might blow out, you may not blow out the color 255 in all the channels. You may just blow it out in red or in blue or, or right, whatever. Right. And that's a problem too. So you want to keep them all within the range. But even if you don't, I find that shooting to the right and pulling it back a stop versus say shooting a stop less in the first place look different sometimes, especially with skin tones. Mm -hmm. And I have being a scientific dorky person. I have no reason why. Well, I, I would even go so far as to say that, that that rule extends into camera manufacturers as well. Okay. You know, in the way that they record, because I know every, Every Nikon digital camera that I've had, I tend to shoot a third stop down. Okay. Because because it meters at at zero right. to my eye too incorrectly. Yeah, it's a little too bright. So okay. I tend to shoot a third stop down regardless of what I'm doing. Well, that's the, that's another interesting thing where on Canon cameras, I don't know about a Nikon. This is good that you and I are on opposite sides of the thing because we get all the info. Um, Canon cameras. Uh, it used to be, and I'm sure it is still now, that the histogram is based upon, even if you're shooting raw, the histogram is based upon the JPEG preview, not upon the raw data. Hmm. So if you really want an idea of exactly what is in your raw data, you need to create another image style that has the contrast way down. Oh, really? Yeah. So that, because that so will that show that you preview is used. Okay. Right, so that it, so that what you're, what you're getting in histogram is a more real representation of what's actually in the file rather than what's in the JPEG preview made using the image settings in the camera. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. So there's all kinds of it. And you know, and it, it kind of the whole getting rid of mirrorless cameras thing, right? That you, you know, you were looking at some of these four thirds cameras or that little Sony thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think part of the problem is that even on my five D Mark three, which is a fairly good camera with a good screen, I don't trust the images on the screen. You know, it's really hard to judge things in, if you're in bright light, it's sure. really hard to judge exposure. If you're in dark light, everything looks too bright, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. that there's something about using histograms and just optically shooting it and then looking, using the two things like, so if the only information I had was what was on the screen, I worry about the images that I would come home and open up on a, on a calibrated thing in a, in a, you know, in a lighting system that I know. Does that make sure. sense? Sure. Yeah. So if you're looking at your shoot and you're, you're, you're judging everything on that screen and going, okay, we got it. And you go home and go, Ooh. Yeah, I noticed that a lot on my, uh, on my trip out West, I did not bring a computer and I couldn't use the iPad if you remember, cause it won't import <laughs> images over 18 right. megapixels. Right. Um, and I didn't, I only brought one battery, so I didn't shoot that much. I only shot like five, 600 pictures. Um, and I came back and there were some pictures from say Sequoia that were really wide dynamic range, like, you know, the shadows in the forest, but the bright sunlight coming through the things that I thought were totally blown out on one side or the other. And it turned out I could recover them, you know? Oh, really? Um, yeah. But, but as you were looking at the, at the on the preview, screen, I was just like, thought, oh, this no sucks. Way. Yeah. Okay. Or, or the, the HDR images that I did in camera that I looked at on the camera and I was just like, Ooh, that's still way too contrasting and blown out in the sky. And then I opened them up on the, on the, even the JPEGs in Lightroom. And I was like, Oh, this guy's actually not blown out. It's huh. just that the screen is showing me something that's not accurate enough for me to judge the image on. Is, is the Mark three using OLED or what are they using? No, it's, it's a regular LCD. 
Okay. Um, and it's a pretty good, although I had to have the thing replaced twice, right? Remember the screen? Right. That problem. Oh, yeah. So maybe I just have a bad screen, but I just, it's like I won't, I can't use that to judge, you know? Hmm. Uh, and a lot of these cameras are still not quite good enough at tethering. You know, you tether with Lightroom or whatever, and or the Canon software, and the minute you unplug or disconnects, or the camera goes to sleep, and then the connection to, between the camera and the computer's button, it's just not good. What have you have you tried the the little iFi cards? You ever used one of those? Uh, I have not, but they're, they're really slow, aren't they? I don't know. I've never used one. I'd, I'd imagine it would be a problem with um, uh, um, what's it called? Um, you know, big raw files. Mm-hmm. supposedly like the d4 and stuff that does the ethernet and it's just an ftp server you know there's got to be a way to right set the camera's got a little up. ftp server in it right so it'd be interesting yeah. to set up something on your ki- on your computer that whenever new files went in there just pull them down it was opening up i mean there's a way to probably do it i don't shoot tethered that often unless i really need to know what it looks like while i'm shooting because i'm doing a composite or you know mm-hmm. um but even that's rare i don't know i uh enough enough with that um <laughs> Sorry, it's a very technical show today. Got a little geeky today. Way more geeky than we normally do. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Ugh. God, Shake see, it this, off. The Shake problem it off, is man. this is the other side of me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm well, fascinated yeah. by the nerd stuff. So people like may claim that you and I are, oh, you guys are philosophers and talking about the – you're not talking about actually doing it. We could talk about so the hot, technical stuff. So there you stuff. go. Yeah. <laughs> You want to get into color temperature and blown out histograms? Like That's I'll right. go there with you. I got your color temperature I'll sh- I'll right shoot here. Shoot you to the right. <laughs> um, hey, uh, I got Heather one of those Kindle things, right? Did I talk about that in the last show? The Paperwhite. No, you. It, it, I think it came the day after. So she she got the Kindle Paperwhite, and uh, it's great. She dig it? Yeah, she loves it. Hmm. Um, and she had a Kindle three before. The contrast is better. The backlight makes the paper part really white. It's really great. So if anybody wants one of those, you should go get one if you're into reading or you've, if you have a Kindle 2 or earlier, I would totally like jump up to that one. It's really cool. But you know, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting week. Uh, next week, Google, are, they're making the big announcement about the Nexus 10 and yep. the Nexus 4 phone. And you know, now you've you got the iPad this week. Yeah, but the e-ink readers, if you're a reader, I think is the way to go. I have heard that from a number of people, yeah. Um, oh, also, uh, sort of wrapping up the show is, um, I, I, I launched the new site. Did you see it? No. Did you really? Yep. Last, what? as of last night, if you go to billwadman.com, you get this new site of mine. What did you do with the, the dropdown? That was the big conundrum, right? Uh, so yeah. So I made it so that it doesn't use the dropdown until it gets oh, look really okay. small. Yeah. Yeah. And it also kills the contact info. But if you click on my name, you still get, you get the, uh, you still get oh, that's, the yeah, well done, right? Yeah, this is sexy. So the nice. only time you would ever really get the weird version of the uh, with the drop down is is uh, if you make it really small. But I think within reason, it's big enough as is, right? Yeah. No, so it's there's good. still some stuff I need to add to it. I got to fill out my commercial section because there's more work that I've done, and I just either can't think of it or can't find it, or I got to go do more. Um, but I, I, I think people like it. So if anybody wants to go to BillWadman.com and hack away at my new site and let me know if you have any problems, that would be very useful to me. Um, right, I'm, look, I'm looking at it on my phone. Hold on a sec. Oh, it works on the phone too. Or at least it works on my phone. I don't know. Yeah, about, no, it's whatever. good. Yeah, it's uh, right? two columns. Nice. The, the only really thing nice. I need to do on, on the phone is uh, figure out one of those things where it doesn't load images that are off the page. 
the problem is, is that the way that that isotope jQuery plugin works, it doesn't lay them out until it's loaded them all. So I don't know if right, I could even right. do right. one of those. And then it kind of drops in the masonry once it's done. Right. So I kind of yeah. wonder if there's a way for me to do it so that it's a single, um, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that, um, that it loads, that it loads a smaller subset of my thing on the phone or something. I it's fine on when, Wi-Fi. It's just slow on, it's just useless on 3G. I wonder if you could, if you could mix in like lazy load where it's only loading. Right. But like I said, it doesn't lay them out until it's loaded images. So what does it do for the stuff off the page? Right, 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 right. Like, it, how does it know that it's done, you know? Hmm. Anyway, so interesting stuff. So the new site's launched. Yeah, we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't geek out on web design. Yeah, that's, see, this is the <laughs> geek show. What is wrong with us? <laughs> let's, let's, let's do next week's show all about jQuery. <laughs> no, no, let's not. Um yeah, so we'll get back to the normal thing, a little mix of everything next week. But we wanted to catch up on all these emails and things that people were sending in. Yeah, and keep them coming. Thank you. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Man, oh, I, uh, wait. Who, we get who good didn't feedback. We, wait, who didn't we get to? We didn't get to... Listener email. We did the... Oh, the sources of inspiration. But we're going to talk about that lesser photographer right, thing next right. time. That's next, uh, as well as Matthew Austin, his, his email. Yeah, his, so, he asked about... There were a couple more. I feel like we're missing some. Well, we'll get to them next week. We got time. Yeah. All right. We, you know, there are more shows coming up. <laughs> uh, and then I had, you know, I, I had some bigger questions about uh, whether you should work towards a body of work or whether you should try to make each thing, each new thing you do, a masterpiece. Like whether uh, whether you, you know, need let, to pace yourself or if it's a uh, a sprint. Why don't we? Can we put that to the listeners? What do you guys think? Yeah, that's it. Are you are you guys shooting bodies of work, or are you shooting individual images? Well, how are how are you shooting? With a camera. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny, Bill. <laughs> See, you like that? <laughs> um, no, absolutely. I I, I want to know how people think about it because it kind of it got me thinking about. Um, like a lot of artists, I mean, they were painting a single work at a time where they was Picasso thinking about how this fit into his larger body or was he just trying to make the best thing each time? Right. I lean towards him trying to make the best thing each time and the body of work comes organically. Well, yeah, I mean, same thing with actors, you know, they're Daniel day Lewis isn't thinking about how, you know, the Abraham Lincoln fits into his thing. He's just making his Abraham Lincoln thing. Right, right. He's not going, how do I make this different yeah, from Bill the Butcher? He's just thinking that he is Abraham Lincoln for the next yeah. six months. Right, yeah. Um, oh, man, what a strange guy. <laughs> talented, though. Oh, massively talented, dude. Crazy talented. God, he makes me sick. How do you and, quit and acting he, and go be a cobbler? He's Just he because that's cobble. what you're into. Yeah, right? I that's can't nuts. cobble. Can you cobble? Uh, I, I have cobbled. Have you really? I, I when I was in theater, I, I built uh, hats and shoes and boots and things like that. Yeah. Well, la di da. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I, uh, I guess you'll do some backpedaling now, won't yeah. you, Mister? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff. Um, anything else before we wrap up? Hey, no. Uh, go uh, go, go give us a review on iTunes if you haven't already. If you're a new listener or whatever it is. Um, we like the reviews and they help people find us, which is a big, big part of it. And, yeah. uh, and, and let gonna, us know where you found us. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to go, I'm going to put some of the books and that kind of stuff that we talk about on the show. 
Uh, I'll put links in the show notes. You can go to uh, ontakingpictures.com slash podcast, and it'll take you to the show notes. And uh, if you click through those links and go to Amazon, you know, a few percent go to us to help support the show because it's expensive uploading a terabyte of data every, every Yeah, how, to talk about that. How much, just from, from last week's show? Yeah. Uh, last week, you mean three days ago? Uh, yeah, right. Three days ago. Yeah, it's hundreds of gigabytes of, of, of bandwidth. So Yeah, so... So it's um we we love that you guys are listening and we want to keep it up. We just want to be able to, you know, keep bringing it. Yeah, exactly. So uh it doesn't cost you anything just if you're going to buy stuff through Amazon, go through one of our links and then go buy what you're going to buy. And you can uh, help us out. Podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yep, send us email. Yep. Uh, uh Bill tweets at Bill Wadman. Yep. I tweet at Jeffrey Sidoris, J E F F E R Y S A D D O R I S. E R Y double D one R. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's it, right? Yeah. Man, that was, that was a heavy one. Went quick though. Yeah, it's good. All right. Uh, we will talk to you. We'll talk to you in four days. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Special bonus episode is over. All right. Thanks guys. Bye.